hello and welcome to a special bonus edition of the Saturday Down South podcast. It is our second podcast of the week. It is day three of media days. That's kind of confusing. I don't do any math, but we are here joining you after uh, what was a fun day three. We got to see your man's Nick Saban. Yeah, and your man's Joe, Joe Moorhead. Moorhead. It was a magical day for all of us. Yeah, we met Bay. Yeah, we uh, we we got to well, I mean, interacted with Joe Moorhead a, a little bit before. I got to see him up close. But Nick Saban for you was, I feel like you 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 weren't really starstruck in a way that I was expecting you to be, which was good. I, I appreciated yeah, you very having that restraint. and scared, um, but not starstruck. No, no. Damien no. Harris a little bit. Yeah, uh, Nick Saban kicked things off before he even opened it up for questions by saying, yeah, don't ask me about the quarterback situation because everything that you're going to ask is still to be determined. He's really playing up the fact that he, well, I shouldn't say the fact that, he thinks it is still a battle, and I think that he already knows who his starting quarterback is going to be. Yeah, I think everyone pretty much does for the most part. Um, that was my favorite part was because right before Saban came out, it was Pruitt. Right. And it was just such a stark difference because Pruitt pulls out like, you know, some notes that he'd written down, like he was given a wedding toast and pulls that out. And then you have the, the veteran Nick Saban comes up and goes, all right, first and foremost, happy to be here with a scowl, which is real nice. It was the 17th SEC media days. That's a lot. That frown just lit up the room. Yeah. And then opens up by saying, I'm just going to answer that there's a lot that has to be determined. So any of your questions about any of that, it still hasn't been determined. And then he said, don't get mad at me. But then he also blamed the media for making this the deal that it is. Um, yeah, we didn't do that. That, that was on you. That, right. That's what happens when you take a quarterback who's 25-2 and two and decide to sit him for the second half of the national championship and you watch a true freshman come in and maybe put together arguably the most impressive comeback in national championship history. And you then don't name a starter after the national championship and you still don't name a well, starter. Well, there's no reason to name a starter after the national championship. Well, here's the thing. And here's the, you don't have to necessarily after the national championship. You want to transfer immediately? No, no, no. What I'm saying, I agree. And he, he obviously, you know, I wouldn't do that either, but he's, he said like that it's the media's fault that this has become such a big storyline, but that's not true at all. Like it's this, winter's fault. There's just nothing to do. <laughs> I mean, he knew this was going to be a big storyline. What does he expect us to do? Like not talk about the fact that a, a true freshman just came in and did this incredible thing, yeah. and now his dad, Jalen Hurts' dad, is, is you know comes out and says that if his son isn't starting, he's going to be the biggest free agent in college football history. Like, do you think we we're just supposed to ignore all that stuff? What else are we going to talk about besides that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, nothing. The yeah. Masters, the Oscars. I mean, summer blockbusters. The Office again. I wrote today, shameless plug, that Alabama is as intriguing as it's ever been, and I think that that's a hundred percent true. And you just don't have typical off season like this right. with a quarterback situation. And I think part of this is Tua's potential, because if Tua was just another guy and this was a pretty even battle, it'd be one thing. But it was almost like Haley's comment: we get to see it for one half. And we get so excited about it, and we want more of it. And the thought of seeing him for another right. year and what he could potentially become in this offense. I mean, Trent Dilfer said on this same podcast that if Tua starts every game for Alabama, they could win 50-3 to three every single game. I mean, so, and we talked about this, like, ad nauseum, you know, and everyone has talked about it in the media. That's the biggest storyline, definitely for Alabama, maybe the SEC, is the Tua-Jalen thing. My biggest takeaway was how confident the media was. Because he basically was like gave a warning saying, yep. if you ask this, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just going to stare a hole through you. And yeah. several questions came up. And somebody closed with a UCF question. 
Bold move. Mike Bianchi, of course, of the Orlando Sentinel. I was right next to him in line getting uh, getting some food today. That was a fun experience. I didn't uh, share any UCF stuff with him. I just talked about how we don't eat this while down in Orlando. Right. But, um, yeah, Mike Bianchi closed with the UCF question and basically asked Saban what his feelings were on UCF getting left out right. of the national championship. And Saban then turned it into sort of a mini rant, actually. And he went on a little bit of a mini rant about – bowl games and their importance and they don't mean as much during the playoff era and what would expansion of the playoff create and all right. this stuff and I think that was kind of dismissed by people <laughs> because it was the last question that he answered and then shortly thereafter he's like oh that was it that was easy <laughs> little did he know that he had been speaking for 30 minutes right um but yeah I mean that's that's just kind of typical saving what you would expect I got real excited like two or three questions from the end because his hands started getting real animated and oh I was yeah like, uh oh yeah. Get the popcorn. Let's see some fireworks here. Yeah. And then somebody asked like a softball question and I was like, dang it. Yeah. And they followed up with that. And I was like, here we go. We're just asking for it. Missed opportunity. Uh, we did find out today that Damian Harris, uh, Damian Harris had a funny little quote about uh, the Nick Saban's boat and what yeah. happened with the Alabama players getting stranded on the lake over the summer. And he said it was fun to see Nick Saban uh, get so worked up about something that wasn't football. Um, and you know, the, the, truth really came out with this. Nick Saban said that our fuel pump wasn't working on the boat. It was a brand new boat and we didn't run out of gas, but that a hundred people have sent him different gas cans. So that's good. Well, I think it's probably a metaphor. If you think about it, you got to read between the lines on that. What's, what's there to think the about boat, with that? The boat is Jalen. Um, there you go. Ran out of gas. And the goat is Boom, Tua. nailed it. It Ooh. rhymes. All right. Uh, a former uh, Saban disciple, I guess a current Saban disciple. You never lose your Saban powers. Jeremy Pruitt, his debut at SEC Media Days, he had a funny little quote. Somebody asked him uh, what, what, Saban, what Saban had taught him and what, you know, if he'd reached out to him and given him some advice on coaching in the SEC. And Pruitt's like, you really think Saban gave me advice? It, that was incredible. He, that was, he that started was out kind of shaky, I thought, and like you could tell he was kind of nervous for his first Media Days. But he did really well. He did. He handled himself well. He was definitely the most honest of the coaches, I think, that we've seen so yes. far. Uh, who is it? Eli Wolf, the tight end. That who, was the best. Uh, was a representative of Tennessee at, at Media Days, and he said in the beginning, uh, when he first got on campus and he looked at Eli Wolf, he thought he was like a manager or something. And uh, he's like, no, oh, no, I played tight end, coach. And uh, he Pruitt basically came out and said that he thought that he that Eli Wolf couldn't block him. Right. He said, so. why was he the most improved player on the team this spring? He said, because when I first got here, he couldn't block me. Yeah. Eli, Eli Wolf, uh, a little bit emasculated, but he all but uh, confirmed that, yeah, he was a little bit different in the beginning of the spring. But he is plenty ready to block SEC players. Uh, we think that Jeremy Pruitt is going to be ready to coach against SEC teams. I think the more and more you hear about him from players, from fans, he's done all the right things, said all the right things so far. And even though that that's honest, I think that Tennessee fans are pretty refreshed by that. Yeah. You also get a sense that like the state of disarray that program was in once Butch Jones left and the whole coaching search fiasco. Because, I mean, case in point today, I don't think there were two, three questions asked about the Tennessee defense. That's no. a defense that was ranked 81st in the country last year. And he's a defensive coach. They lost every single one of their starters in the secondary. It's true. But the offense was so bad. And if you have that bad of an offense at a place right. like Tennessee, 
that's going to be the, the topic of conversation. And especially there's still a quarterback battle, um, albeit a different one than the right. one that's unfolding at Alabama. But, yeah, Tennessee uh, gets to begin the Jeremy Pruitt era, and Mississippi State gets to begin the Joe Moorhead era. Favorite part of the day was – no, he handled himself really well. Did The stage did not seem – Did I tell you or did I tell you? That's so – Quote from Connor verbatim. He goes, I tell you who's going to be the best one here? Yep. And sure That's, enough. It was, it sure was enough. the first interview of the day. He was uh, – I thought Joe Moorhead was great. I thought his quiet confidence really came out. Yeah. I got to ask him uh, if he had had a welcome to the South moment yet. That was good. And he said, uh, yeah, well, being smacked in the face with humidity every time I step out my front door. And, oh, everything is wrapped in bacon, which is pretty good too. I love that he opened by joking around about how – this media days was a little bit bigger than the one he had when he was the head coach at Fordham. Yeah, the Patriot League yeah. media day, not not so much. Uh, I think was they only like do one day. Like a Robbins up in like Delaware. Yeah, it was like a, a convention or something like that where people kind of show up and they have to wear name tags right. the entire time. They're not that recognizable. Uh, but Joe Moorhead has risen so quickly because he's been such a tremendous offensive coordinator at Penn State and the job that he did on James Franklin's staff. And a lot of people today. Uh, we're curious just how, how this guy was going to be, how he was going to fit in with his conference. And I think that he's, I mean, tremendous. He even had a little subtle jab to Ole Miss in there about the goal being to be the best Power 5 team in the state. He talked about how, you know, this is a, a team that has one winning season in the SEC in the right. last 15 years. And I think that it's tough to remember that when people go on TV and say that they're going to win 10 games in a season like I did. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and also, like what he said to Nick Fitzgerald that you, you talked to. Right. That was share on that. Yeah, so uh, Nick Fitzgerald, I, I had asked him uh, what Joe Moorhead texted him when he got the job because I knew Nick Fitz, Fitzgerald. It's a really good had, question, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I try. You know, I, I try and flex my journalism muscles every now and then uh, when I'm not messing around with you. Um, but Nick Fitzgerald, had, uh, he, he had fired off a tweet after Joe Moorhead had gotten hired. He was really excited about it, obviously. And I said, you know, what did Joe Moorhead text you? And he said, like he said to the other players, to get your, make sure you know your ring size. And also, by the way, clear a space on your mantle because that's where your Heisman Trophy is going right. to go. And that's really like that kind of mentality, the winning mentality is what they probably need in Starkville. With one winning season. You need that confidence. Yeah. You, you have to have that sort of sense of, you can't just be an aw shucks humble type guy you got to have a little bit of confidence when you go into a place like that now especially following somebody like Mullen who brought that that much needed right now there's something to be said if a coach comes in and has expectations that are you know it, it comes off as arrogant and you haven't won anything you haven't done anything before right. but I think with Mississippi State I think it's exactly what that program needs and I think it's going to make them really relevant and you know whether or not they are producing winning seasons in the SEC year after year that that's to be determined and his recruiting is going to determine that but as of right now this is the guy that you want running your program I mean and usually when you have a coach come in you you don't have this much hype their first season uh with like the kind of potential that's on the table for Mississippi State usually Uh, you wait till year two year three that makes more sense but this year I mean 18 returning starters the best D-line in the entire I don't want to say country because of Clemson but probably the conference. Yeah, you can tell he he knows he's got a lot to work with. So Joe Moorhead had already won me over a long time ago, but then he referenced Hoosiers at nine. To, I, I at like nine minutes into his press conference, I was like, yeah, okay, we're good. You just see hearts just <laughs> twirling around your head. It's beautiful. 
Uh, Joe Moorhead gets to make his SEC Media Days debut. Uh, a guy who's a little bit more familiar with the the scene was uh, was Barry Odom, um, a guy who we thought did uh, some some good things, some not so good things last year. We brought up the stat many times in this podcast about having all those games where they don't score 45 points right. and Mizzou just falls apart. Um, but he uh, he had an interesting comment, I thought, after what C.C. Jefferson said the other day. Odom was hands down my favorite favorite coach the entire day really? favorite interview hands really? down okay. he just he seemed like such a genuinely good person good coach like he knew he had a plan in place wasn't trying to do too much it might mean too much yeah i i really liked odom yeah no i he won me over a little bit too he's he's a little bit more kind of like a an aw shucks type of guy yeah. he had that great Much moment. more relatable <laughs> he had that great moment with bob holt today who oh asked a God. question um, I, I don't even remember what the question was, but well, because he cut him off. Yeah, because Barry Odom cut him off and, to congratulate him. Yeah, and he and Barry Odom congratulates Bob Holt, the guy who's been at a million SEC media days, and says, "Oh, I think you've got me out. You know, I think you've been here longer than I have." Than most coaches, yeah. And then Bob Holt responds with, "Yeah, I wish I made as many as <laughs> much money as you coaches." So, but it was it was a great moment. It really was. Not you don't get a whole lot of good back and forth, especially in big press conferences like right. that. But uh, Barry Odom also had a nice little clap back to C.C. Jefferson, who had a really controversial quote um, at SEC Media Days on Tuesday, where he basically called out the Mizzou student section and said, even though that they lost at Mizzou last year, he's like, yeah, I hate going there. It's cold. You know, it's, you know, the, the Mizzou fans just don't really seem that interested, blah, blah, blah. And it was this long, drawn-out quote, and you're just like, whoa. that was It was surprising because I think the answer was, uh, or the question was, why is Mizzou's offense so so tough to stop? And C.C. Jefferson took it in a totally different way. I hate the entire state. <laughs> it was it was weird. It was really weird. And so Barry Odom comes back today and is basically like, yeah, you know, the score was forty five to sixteen. I think we had uh, I think we had plenty of fan support in that one. So not really. That takes worried about a lot that. to call out a, a team that beat you. I mean, how less interested were you? I don't know, man. I mean, maybe if you would have given him a better game, C.C., more fans would have come out. See, and that's. That's the we talked about that before. That's the arrogance I'm not really crazy about. Like right. if you're gonna if if you're gonna call a team out, I mean at least have bragging rights over them. Forty five sixteen. Didn't like that at all. No, did not like that. And then Drew Locke clapped back a little bit at uh, Tom Herman. Uh, I did like that. Yeah, Tom Herman who made fun of his touchdown dance last year in the Texas Bowl. Drew Locke has had a chance to address that and said today um, as well that. Well, he threw 44 touchdown passes last year, so he got a chance to do the got a chance to do that dance a lot. Just saying. That's true. That's I, a, I got a sense from listening to Odom discuss Beckner and Locke coming back that the coaching part of it has much less to do with winning for him and much more about impacting the lives of the kids that he's recruited. You just that was like a recruiting pitch right there. Yeah, like you were, you're welcome. You're like a a 45 year old dad. Show That's me. Good. Wow. No, I, but I really was I was impressed with that. I, I know we missed, or I missed the Mullen press conference because we were doing interviews. Florida's been the biggest disappointment. The C.C. Jefferson quote, and yeah. then the unveiling of their new uniforms. Oh, quotes, yeah. That was terrible. It was the same exact uniform with the Jumpman logo. It's like that scene That's in true. Heavyweights, and it's like, step on the scale, step off the scale. <laughs> you haven't lost a pound. You've referenced that like three times in the last two days. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was pretty good. This is fun. That's a nice little segue into uh, an interview that we did with another former Gator. Yeah. Uh, a Gator great, as I called him. Um, Chris Doring was gracious enough to give us a little bit of his time here in Atlanta at SEC Media Days. Fun interview. Uh, Family Feud is on fire. 
It picked up some steam. Yeah. Some yeah. Serious I was really steam. excited about that one. That was, a, I mean, there's a lot to work with with Florida because just the state in general, there's a lot to make fun of. Yeah. But Doring is one of my favorite people. I adore him. Boom. Oh, that's good. Uh, he's one of my favorite people in SEC media and super nice. Uh, really glad he came on and gave some really good answers. He did. Also, yeah. I didn't realize how good he was. Yeah. I mean, he, six four, like he, he he's kind of a little white bit more wide side. receiver. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. He he talked about that uh, being a white wide receiver and what he could have done potentially playing with Peyton Manning. Yeah, that would be incredible. That's a nice little tease. So yeah, without further ado, uh, here is Chris Doring. We're excited to be joined by a very special guest, Chris Doring. You know him. He's on SEC Network. Former Gator great. Can I call you a Gator great? That's fair, right? Oh, I appreciate that. That's uh, that's high praise amongst you know all the great players that uh, played before me and after me. I'd, I'd love to be in that category. You're uh, here in Atlanta with us at SEC Media Days. We're talking about uh, a little bit of a, of a different year for Florida, to say the least. I mean, we're coming into this season with expectations that are uh, different than the, the Jim McElwain era. I'm sure you've been asked this question a bunch of times, but your initial impression of Dan Mullen and the job that he's done at this program. You know, I, I was a little bit unsure at first when they made the announcement, and then as soon as he stepped off the plane for that introductory press conference and he's gator chomping, you could see the excitement that he had for being the head coach of the University of Florida. For me, he won me over immediately. His press conference when he tipped the cap to Coach Berger and what he had accomplished and built, um, the standard with which he talks about the program getting back to, those are the hot-button topics that really have gotten me excited. He's, he's gone across the state and really reunited a fan base that I think has been fractured for the last probably 10 or 12 years. So uh, I think he's doing and saying all the right things. The question comes down to now, hey, can we get the production on the field that we expect you to? His track record says he can do it. He knows how to coach quarterbacks. He knows how to coach offense. And I think it's, uh, I think it's only a matter of time before Florida gets back to being relevant in the East again. So that being said, your playing days. Um, you were at Florida during a time that ruined a lot of my childhood Saturdays. That's the nicest thing that an opposing fan can say. Oh, actually, that, other than I hate you. you know? I, yeah, I wanted an apology. I wasn't trying to be nice. But um, that being said, playing for Spurrier, what is your favorite or funniest Spurrier memory or moment? Everybody has a Spurrier voice and impression, right? I mean, that, that's, oh, I mean, everybody does it. You know, he used to call me Chrissy. Hi, Chrissy. My man, you know, it, that was the worst thing that could happen to you, though. In the pregame, he'd come around the locker room. All right, Chris, let's have a good game. All right, Danny. All right, and if he hits you with, all right, my man, that means he forgot your name. You never wanted to be my man. So those were, uh, there's so many great stories throughout the, the years. But, uh, you know, we were allowed to say certain words, um, and, and the F word was not one of them, you know. That's not something you were allowed to say. Until game day, then it became something that he was allowed to say. But uh, I used it one time. We were in South Carolina playing at a timeout. I, I said, Coach, I got, a, I got an effing five-foot guy covering me. Throw me the, throw me the fade. And he's like, ah, Chris, we don't need that. We, you know, so even in the midst of the competition, he got mad at my, my use of the F word there. Uh, you know, Spurrier's uh, got a new new football team in Orlando. I'm just saying, I think he's looking to fill out his coaching staff. Little, uh, I want to Oh, I, no, I mean, you ruined it for me there. I, I, the whole time you're saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, I could still play some, some receiver, man. I'm ready to go. And then you hit me with a coaching uh, staff thing. No, no, no. Okay, player or coach, player coach. How play, about that? Yeah, we haven't seen that in, in football, I don't think, in a long time. But yeah, 45, my mind still tells me I could go out there and run routes and, uh, and catch the ball. But uh, I'm not so sure I could take the hits like I once used to be able to. I told you yesterday that we were going to do the interview. We were just going to go run routes, and I was you going to cover you, that. and you got so excited. Yeah. Your eyes like, lit up. Um, so when you first got to Florida, you were a walk-on, mm -hmm. then a red shirt, mm -hmm. and then not only became a scholarship player, but led the entire conference in touchdowns. I think you were second in receiving yards. On the same team with Redell Anthony, Ike Hilliard. How, how do you, like, when you look back at that, 
First off, how are you never switched to defensive back? <laughs> yeah, it what like is your proudest corner, accomplishment? Um, you know, I, I think you mentioned the walk-on thing and um, constantly having to prove people wrong, constantly having to earn what I was given, I think instilled this perseverance and work ethic that's served me well, not only in college, but at the pro level, in the media world. Everything I've done has kind of been set because I went through what I did coming out of high school. And uh, I really appreciate Coach Spurrier and giving me the opportunity to, to play. There's not a lot of coaches that give walk-ons the chance to have the meaningful playing time that I did. And it just happened so quick. Right before my sophomore year, we're through camp. And he announces in the middle of two days after practice that I'm going on scholarship. My, my teammates were really excited for me. I signed it before they could change their mind. <laughs> a couple weeks later, you know, I, I catch four passes in our opening game uh, in that season at, at home. And then we go on the road to Kentucky. And he tells me right before the game, hey, you're going to start today. So now I'm thinking, wow, this is the pinnacle of everything I could have expected. Earlier in the fourth quarter, I catch my first career touchdown pass. And then, you know, with, with three seconds left, I catch the game winner there. And it, it went from being a walk-on to now I was a household name amongst right. the Gator Nation, and, and it just happened in such a quick manner that I, uh, I didn't even you know, have time to really reflect on it. But looking back now, just a, a complete storybook ending, with the exception of that, that debacle against Nebraska in the national title game. Everything we'll else was perfect. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, let's fast forward to your professional days because there's something that I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, but you got released by the Colts two months before they drafted Peyton Manning. Yeah. How many more? How many hundreds more touchdown passes would you have had in your NFL does, career? Does Peyton Manning not have a history of loving white wide receivers? Yes. I mean, would have been we perfect there, right? That. I mean, either there or playing in the New England offense. I yep. mean, I, I really missed my opportunity. Uh, yeah, it was disappointing. I, I moved around a lot. I got cut ten times, ten times in a ten-year period. I've been cut every way possible before practice, after practice, on my way home, on my off day. Uh, it really was uh, something that that created again a level of perseverance in me. But would have uh, would have loved to have had the opportunity to play with Baton for sure. Still waiting on that apology. Just want to <laughs> throw that out there. Um, we're gonna wrap up with a little family feud. Right. We do it every week on the pod. Let's do it. Uh, so make sure you check in with that. I will. Are you ready? Yes. Ten questions. Twenty seconds on the clock. All right. There's no clock. First question: What's the biggest threat to SEC's dominance? Were we talking about team-wise, or are we talking about... Quick, uh, quick, go, uh, anything. This, uh, ACC. North Korea. Uh, <laughs> what's the best rivalry in the SEC? Oh, shoot. Florida and Georgia? No, not no? even close. Oh. LSU fans versus liver. Um, next question. Who hurt Danny Cannell? Who hurt Danny Cannell? Was it you? No, I is love that him. why he he's is the way he guy. is? No, I love He's my guy. I, I love him, even though his perspective on the SEC is a little skewed. Fair enough. Okay, in one word, describe the Florida offense under McIlwain. Uh, brutal. Okay, one word described under Mullen. Uh, awesome. Fair enough, okay. Uh, who is Florida's biggest rival? Florida's biggest rival, probably Georgia right now. Wrong, it is preseason arrests. Um, best, <laughs> who's the best looking Florida football player of all time? Oh, man. It's, uh, Jesse Palmer, right? I mean, Jesse's uh, no. unbelievable. I had Chris Leak, but that's better, yeah. I think you win. Okay. Uh, what's the best bar and restaurant in Gainesville? Oh, it's got to be the Swamp, right? That's, yeah, that or Ballyhoo. Is that the right answer? Yeah. Ballyhoo's unbelievable as well. We're one for seven so far. That's good. Um, if you were a character from The Office, who would you be? I don't even watch The Office, bro. What? Yeah. Did it, is it over? Now I need two apologies. That's a mic drop it in a bad way. Yeah. That's, you know what? You did your best. Usually we were, <laughs> I tried. award everyone 69 points, but no, sir. I don't even get a 69? No. I, well, I yeah, I think, yeah you, we'll give you 69 points. One more question. One final last. One more I got to know. I asked Martez Ivy this yesterday, and uh, actually David Reese was the one who said that he had an aunt who used to call out Florida's plays under McIlwain. Do you have an aunt who could call out plays as well as David Reese's aunt? It, it seems like that every Florida fan probably could do that. It was uh, obviously 
somewhat predictable. And, uh, you know, I think that frustrated me the most was the lack of what I thought was a very talented group of wide receivers that uh, underutilized and under, underdeveloped. So your aunt will not be calling out plays anytime soon. That's she will not. She actually just okay. passed away. So thanks for bringing that oh, up. Oh, wow. <laughs> Too soon. Let's end on the most awkward note possible. Uh, Chris Doring, that was fantastic stuff. Hopefully you were going to get to catch some touchdowns for Peyton Manning one day. Yeah, um, uh, maybe that flag league, will, uh, he'll, he'll join us and get a chance to catch some from him. Awesome. Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks. Really appreciate Chris Doring joining us. That was awesome stuff. Uh, he's a good dude. He's a really good dude. I, I haven't yeah. met him before. I've met him once before, and um, he was just super, super polite, and at first wasn't really open to coming on the podcast. We uh, opened him up, though. Yeah. We, yeah. Made, we made a friend. We made a few friends this week. We did. I think we, I think we have. Uh, another one of our friends that we made this week, Aaron Murray, who, a uh, friend of the podcast, very close friend of yeah. the podcast, was making some national headlines today. Oh, man. Today. Yeah, this was, this was interesting. So um, he called out Jeremy Pruitt um, and said that... He didn't think he wasn't sure if he was fit to be a head coach. Right. Uh, he questioned the way that uh, Pruitt treated uh, Mark Richt when they were at Georgia together, and a lot of fireworks there, a lot of fireworks. And uh, right. Jeremy Pruitt had an interesting response. Basically, said, "You know, 15 years ago, I was uh, I was a kindergarten teacher, and now I'm coaching a, a Power Five program, and you don't have you don't." I'm not doing that unless I know how to treat people, and that's he's, an interesting he's point. He's the first former MTV reality show star to be a head coach. Speaking of that, I asked Tennessee players if they had seen two a days. I asked every one of them. All of them looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah, they were like six. Yeah, they, I think they were. Yeah, they were like Blows six or mind. seven. But I mean, there, that's been a stigma of his about him for a long time is that he's kind of a selfish, you know, hard to get along with, hard to work with. It's probably why he worked so well with Saban. Ah. But I mean, that, that all kind of goes away a little bit more once you're in charge of the entire program. Right. Instead of having to answer somebody else. I'd say it was more of like being able to sign five-star recruits left and right that yeah. made him That's able to work true. with Saban. Yeah. Key, key part of the job. Uh, but yeah. Uh, you know what makes all that go away though? Winning. That's true. Just win. And you can be however you want to be. That's a good point. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway of, of the day? Uh, it, we'll limit it to, to just Wednesday, seeing, seeing Saban, seeing um, Joe Moorhead. Probably Joe Moorhead, right? So, no, I'm not going to give you that satisfaction. He was, he was a lot better than I thought he would be. It was nice to finally see what he looks like in real life. Um, he's, he's actually a really interesting person. He played football in Munich. That was cool. Yeah. But my I, biggest I, takeaway, I honestly, how, how consistently – consistently overlooked Mizzou is. And everyone okay. talks about the Drew Locke thing. They've returned 10 starters on offense. They have Derek Dooley coming in as the new offensive coordinator. I think they're really going to surprise some people. Where do you have them finishing in the division? Third. So they're Huge really going to meet expectations and... I mean, they're not going to beat Georgia. Okay. And Florida also returns a lot of talent too. And they have to play that game at Florida. Okay. My biggest takeaway was Nick Saban revealing breaking news about his quarterback situation that it was still to be determined. Yeah. Uh, no, that wasn't really my biggest takeaway. My biggest takeaway was Joe Moorhead saying that his walk-up song would be Victory by Notorious B.I.G. Great song. Daddy. Yeah. That's a, that's, that'd be a great walk-up song. Yeah. How did I miss that? Uh, he said it on SEC Network, so he didn't say it in the in All right, his, you know what? Presser. Joe Moorhead just got a lot cooler. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He's, I think he's the coolest SEC coach. Should we do uh, superlatives? Power, power, power rankings? for It's not Kirby. Not with that haircut. Coach. No, no. I... I I think that until Kirby upgrades his hair, his cool points are. Speaking of, probably the best interview I did all week was uh, talking about hair gel in the men's bathroom with Marty Smith. Really? Yeah. 
We had a nice little conversation about it. Conversation or an, or an interview? I cornered him, yeah. Just asked him for some hair gel. Backed him into like a urinal? Like how do you corner someone in the bathroom? No, not like that. That's aggressive. Yeah, that's yeah. really aggressive. Metaphorically. Okay. What do you say about hair gel? Um, he gave me some recommendations. It was nice. It was like a human Yelp review. Yeah, you're the same guy who once told me that you use honey to gel your hair. Yeah, in a pinch. I mean, it's called being resourceful, Connor. It's called being a little gross. Just okay. Saying. Well, Same. moving on. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, plenty to look forward to. One more day of SEC Media Days on Thursday. We've got Auburn. We've got South Carolina. We've got Vandy. It's going to be fun. Uh, Auburn strong. <laughs> uh, Auburn might have to answer a question or two about UCF, about oh God. losing to Georgia. Probably going to overshadow the whole, oh, yeah, by the way, we won the Iron Bowl and took down undefeated Alabama. No, I think that's – primarily what is going to be brought up it is november yeah november was pretty good to auburn yeah. pretty good peaked uh if, i'm looking forward to seeing jared stedham guy who we've talked about a lot on this podcast his potential uh his upside how he's handling the spotlight we right. got to see drew Locke today i think he's embracing the spotlight he's he talks a little bit more freely than, than yeah. most i really like that yeah he was like yeah even had a couple of, you know, dropping not, some not curse a words. Filter on them. No, not much of a filter yet for like a potential first round quarterback in the future. I think Stidham's going to have more of a filter. Yeah, without a doubt. But it is nice to have like, there aren't that many well known, I don't say celebrities, but personalities in the conference. This is one of them. Yeah. Gus, and after that, we get Muschamp. That's true. Oh, Muschamp's going to be great. Yeah. We were talking about, uh, we were talking about his house yesterday. Right. Tomorrow is just. You brought that up like three times in the past I two know, days. No, I can't stop thinking about it. You're so house. cranky. You got to get a Snickers in you. Oh, it's the, his house is so awesome. Ask a question about that. Square feet math. I want to know what Gus Malzahn's house looks like with $49 million. Well, he's well, not there right now. We could probably go down there. That's true. All right, we got to go, guys. Not a bad idea. Uh, yeah, but plenty of fun stuff is, is going to be uh, coming your way. We've got a lot of great articles, a lot of great, great content up on SDS right now. Make sure you're reading all of that. Shameless plug for me, myself, and I. No, I'm just kidding. Adam Spencer has been cranking out some great stories this week. Our news, te- our news team has been absolutely crushing it. If you don't already, you're following SDS on Twitter. You're following at the SDS pod Who was running Twitter? They did a pretty good job, too. Wow, nice pat on I'm the back. I'm here. Nice pat on the back. I know. You've had a few gems and a couple duds. That's fair. A couple duds. A few gems. You know how both. I never say that about your, your writing? I know. I really appreciate it. You give me all the... You're, you're basically my intern, Butch Jones. Wow. That's okay. What, We're going to end me, it on that one. You give me nothing but compliments, and, and I appreciate that. It's really nice of you. I'm grossly offended by that compliment. Uh, yeah. So on that note, remember, Butch Jones wasn't creative enough to come up with a, a signature slogan. Yeah. That's why I didn't like it. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. But we will be coming back with you guys. Another podcast on Thursday. Again, thanks to Chris Doring for joining us. We've got Peter Burns. Peter Burns. Yeah, big, big finale tomorrow. Coming in hot. Going to wrap up SEC Media Days tomorrow. Three podcasts in one week. Oh my goodness. You got to get Gatorade. I do. I, you can tell I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right, guys. Well, yeah. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, it just means more. No. no. That's close enough. That's, That's good. close enough. All right. Might mean too much. Thanks, guys. Okay. Okay.